Welcome to Lightning in a Bottle, a podcast series for owners and key stakeholders in privately held companies and the professionals that surround them. My name is Josh Pottinger, and together with Jason Georgianis, we run ATX Wealth Partners here at UBS. Jason and I have been teamed up now for over 20 years, and each of us has over 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. Our goal is to bring real-world perspectives to help you prepare yourself, your family, and your business for the day that you decide to monetize some or all of your ownership position in the company. Throughout this series, we will provide our own thoughts as well as interview key people along the way. Feel free to email us at atxwealthpartners at ubs.com. And with that, let's go ahead and get started. Hello, everyone. It's Josh Pottinger here, and I've got Jason Georgianis with me. Jason? Good afternoon. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. We've got a special guest, Mark Tepsik. He's one of our UBS colleagues up in New York. And Mark joined UBS as the family office design and governance specialist in our family office solutions team within private wealth management. So for those of you that aren't familiar with it, the family office solutions group is a holistic team. What I like to say is a SWAT team of specialists that can go very narrow and very deep, and they serve our $100 million plus clients and family offices in partnership with teams like ours that sit on the private wealth platform. So Mark is a thought partner. He's somebody that we pull in whenever we're talking to family offices to help provide best practices and give them some guidance on how to make them a better operating entity. So Mark's got a very long and experienced background counseling complex families on their family office structuring, tax, estate planning, philanthropy, and family governance and other dynamic issues. He's advised several families on liquidity event planning as part of their sale for their operating business and lots of other stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and bring Mark in. Mark, are you there? Yeah. Hey, Josh. Hey, Mark. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Looking forward to our conversation. So it was good to see you, by the way. I was up in at our 1285 offices there in the city. Got to see you and and Chris and some other folks. Yeah, of course. No, it was uh, great to catch up and uh, great to see you as well. So, Well, good. Well, let's kick it off with a kind of a real basic question here. There's a lot of confusion about what exactly a family office is. So Let's start with that. Give us a brief and basic definition of a family office. Yeah, of course. So it'll be brief and basic, but let me set the stage first. If you think of a a complex family, a wealthy family, so to speak, they've got a business or operating businesses, plural. They've got a portfolio. They've got direct investments. They probably have a handful of residential houses. They've got trust structures, partnerships, you know, life insurance, property and casualty insurance, just a whole host of things, right? Just a lot of complexity. And at the end of the day, a family office is there to go from complexity to clarity. And so I like to make the analogy to a, just a regular business. At a business, you have everything under one roof, right? You have the accounting department, you've got the sales department, you may have the marketing department and whatever. Right. And so it's all under one roof. It's working in unison. It's coordinated. There is a plan. And so a family office is there to take your family from complexity to clarity by building infrastructure around all those moving parts and getting them coordinated and moving in unison. So again, you go from a complex environment 
and you're tying it all together and creating clarity for yourself and for your family, just like a regular business will do for its, you know, its owner operator. So probably not as brief as you, as everyone would have liked, but that's my definition of a family office. Sure. So it's, it stays complex, but you're creating clarity by streamlining and putting in structures and systems in place. Yeah. So you're often, in, in my opinion, you know, you hear a lot of, hey, I'm going to start a family office. I'm going to go hire somebody to do direct investments, look at direct deals. In my opinion, that's not the appropriate first step. The appropriate first step is building infrastructure. Oftentimes, that's an accounting infrastructure because a family has both inflows and outflows from a variety of sources. So you'll have the accounting infrastructure. The next component should really be some consolidated reporting infrastructure, which is balance sheet performance. And with those two, then go build out the rest of your infrastructure. Because at least at that point, after the accounting and the, and the reporting infrastructure is built, you should have a clearer picture of what you have going on as a family, just like a business would have an accounting department. So I'll just leave that right there. Right. Accounting and reporting, two very critical components. And in your opinion, that's the first step. Yep, exactly. Without that, you're kind of operating blindly. Right. Right. Reporting is a topic that comes up often in our in our conversation. And in many instances, it's an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. And sometimes that can work, to be honest with you, right? That's clearly better than nothing because I've seen it where it's just on scraps of paper. And so the reporting infrastructure, you know, there, there's various platforms out there. Some work better than others and some have kind of different bells and whistles and functionalities. Adapar, which is something that UBS has, Adapar Mirador relationship is really kind of best of breed. And it takes your aggregated, disaggregated balance sheet, which is, you know, kind of all over the place and gives you a single unified view of the balance sheet. So that's both portfolio, direct investment, residential real estate, maybe an operating business, and even going down to, you know, private equity and hedge funds, just getting the values there, allowing you to see where you're allocated to, et cetera. Right. Now, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of, ahead of myself. Let's take a, a, a quick step back. You know, what are the typical pathways for a family office? Like at what, at what point should a family think about having a more structured approach in terms of how they're managing, you know, their entire situation? And when do they typically set them up and, and why? Yeah. So there's a few different pathways. And obviously, this is a somewhat generalization, but I find it to be true. One is post-liquidity event. So you think about a business owner or business-owning family that had an infrastructure, which is their business, right? So they're oftentimes relying on folks within their business, employees, doing some light accounting or some light bookkeeping, calendaring their calendars, just keeping the trains running on the time. They go through a liquidity event, sell the business. Now they actually lost not only the operating company, they just lost the infrastructure really on the personal side. And so I see it a lot when there's post-liquidity event, they need to go out and hire some of that same infrastructure, build some of that same infrastructure we just talked about. And that's oftentimes done through a family office. So that's one, post-liquidity event. Two is it's currently embedded in a business, which is sort of what we just talked about, but the, there's no liquidity event. And com the complex needs of a family tend to grow over time. One of the reasons why is because the family usually grows, right? So if you're thinking about G1 Wealth Creator, they often have children. Those children grow up. They have children of their own. And so at that point, 
you know, you can't have a host of people calling up the business for obvious reasons, right? They should be focused on the business. And so you don't try to go from an embedded family office in the business and kind of have it come out of the business and stand up some infrastructure outside of the business. That doesn't mean there's always a clean break. There's oftentimes, like I've seen it where the HR is still leveraged, right? Because if you're hiring a team of five, the family office, it's, there's just not enough scale for an HR person. So they'll rely on the business. Uh, they'll rely on some, the business for some other infrastructure. So post liquidity event, taking a family office out of a business. And then three is you still have a family office embedded in the business. They just have to grow up a little bit for obvious reasons. So those are really the three pathways that I've seen. And it really just becomes you have enough complexity. You look like your business to yourself, right? Investments, direct investments, portfolio, private foundation, maybe. And all those dots at the end of the day need connected. Mark, in addition to the complexity, what size wealth are we speaking about before folks ought to at least consider just that threshold of, of the effort plus the cost, is this worth exploring further? Great question. In my mind, and this is, again, a gross generalization, it's $250 Because at $250 million, you could hire somebody that's sophisticated enough, even if it's just one person, that can connect all these dots and leverage a bunch of outsourced third parties. So think accounting firms, law firms, you know, investment management firms like ourselves. It's around two fifty. Now that doesn't mean you can, you know, at a hundred you don't need these services. You just may construct it in a different way. You might go completely outsourced. But it, but two fifty, you start having that conversation because you have enough scale to hire people directly and on a full time basis. So it's around two fifty. Got it. And sub that maybe a multifamily office. Yeah, they'll oftentimes either go to a multifamily office. Or they'll hire firms that really will just handle kind of the bookkeeping, accounting, and bill pay. And that's usually the the first missing link. Again, you know, I keep going back to the accounting infrastructure. They'll leverage these firms to do bookkeeping, bill pay, and some light kind of partnership accounting for them for you know various reasons. And so these types of firms really aren't running money, but they help you provide that missing link and that minimal infrastructure you need to manage your life you know, kind of like a business, manage your wealth like a business. So in the beginning, somebody's thinking about setting up a family office. It's either through the, you know, like you said, a post-liquidity event or it's embedded in the business. First first step, accounting and reporting, hiring that first person. How do these family offices typically evolve from, you know, G1 getting it going all the way to fast forward several decades and you've got G2, G3, maybe G4 starting to to roll in? Yeah, another great question. So there comes a time where they need to evolve either, frankly, rapidly or just over time. And sometimes they see it and sometimes they don't until it's too late. And one way is, hey, it's, it's usually a founder, right, that starts a family office. It's often not a multi-generational family that starts a family office because the wealth has probably existed for some time at that point and they already have a family office. So it's going from founders focused family office to more of a family office to where hey that family office professionals or group of professionals were really only focused on that one individual now that individual has children who's got their own family and so they're consuming resources of the family office so those family office executives and the family office as a whole need to evolve and adapt to also service those clients 
it gets challenging because it's just a slightly different service delivery model than the family's executives are used to, and even the family, kind of what I'll call the founder, is used to. And so they just need to adapt. That's one way. Okay. The other way is, and these are kind of all intertwined, is, you know, oftentimes, again, a family just has a tendency to get more complex over time. More family members, more wealth, more trust structures, more partnerships, more insurance policies, more properties. So at some point, you can't just be operating at the seat of your pants. You have to get slightly more formalized and professional and having a plan put in place. So just getting a little bit more formalized, professional, let's put a plan in place, let's have a budget, let's think about what we're going to do. Are we the best people to do it? Or should we outsource some of these and just focus on what we're good at? Okay. Mm-hmm. The third component, again, all these are sort of integrated, is governance. Okay. And so if you go back to just the growth of the family, usually there's a shared portfolio, right? Through trust, different structures. You might need a family office council to talk about, hey, here's what we really want the family office to do and focus on, and we'll actually all pay for it. Because what I've seen is family office will be tasked maybe with by one or two family members to go build something and they go offer it to the rest of the family. It's just not relevant. Okay. And so just creating a small council, however you want to call it, whether you're just getting on the phone and talking about the direction of the family office every now and then, or another thing is forming an investment committee. Because again, it's not usually just one person's money or wealth at the end of the day. It's usually generational. And so let's talk about forming an investment committee. So what are you trying to accomplish through that investment committee? You're trying to accomplish a little bit of communication between the family, their advisors. Let's talk about just learning about the investment process, making better decisions at the end of the day. So it's it's going from a narrowly focused family office, at least on our clients, to more of a family-focused family office, to serving the family as a whole. It's getting a little more formalized and professional coming up with a plan, thinking about what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, who we're going to do it with. And then the last component of it is governance. Do you need a family office council? Do you need an investment committee? If so, why? What does that look like? What are some best practices there? So that's really how they evolve. So let me pose two different scenarios. Like, you know, the baby boomer generation obviously is is is, is aging and are transitioning those responsibilities to the next generation. So let's just say, you know, for purposes of this conversation, G1 is a, is in the baby boomer phase of their life and they're wanting to let G2 take over and they've been running things a certain way, right? And so like how, what advice do you have for that G1 that wants to kind of pass the torch on and for G2 to, to, to understand the challenges that come with that? Right. So that I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. And I'm going to add on to that for a second because Josh and I went for the mic at the same time. I'm just curious to know along that vein, how often you're working as psychologist or some other type of counselor when you're talking about, you know, more complexity, more people, more insurance policies, more this, more that. Obviously, more of this, more of that also entails varying personalities, varying objectives, varying priorities. Yeah. It's not always nice and smooth. No. And that's a gr- another great question. Another great point. That is the distinction between, you know, maybe being at a big board county from a law firm where 
you're focused on transactions in a family office you're focused you cannot separate that administrative component from the family and from the human element for obvious reasons right you're working for that family there's in you know there's family dynamics involved there's just different personalities and you've got to clap a captive client base but you're but they're also captive to you to an extent right and so you just cannot separate the administrative component right like the nuts and bolts from the family component from the human from the personal component for obvious reasons and so when you're talking about you know when i'm talking to families or i'm talking to family executives about you know how do you transition this because there's a there's could be a business involved there could be a portfolio involved there could be a foundation involved and it's again it's it's all integrated with the family and so this is a big thing for families because one they oftentimes don't like to talk about certain things okay for obvious reasons right but you cannot have a wealth transition without speaking about it right so i always make the analogy to you know let's use you know steve jobs like he didn't stick tim cook in a dark basement somewhere and then say hey come out and run apple right he would have no clue so how are you bringing in the broader family over time it has to be a process and you can actually use the family office for this right so again going back to the investment committee if you're putting people on an investment committee you're going to be talking about the investment process you're going to be talking about the portfolio you're going to be talking about everything under the sun with that portfolio with the advisors and so that's a pretty good first start that's usually integrated and layered in you know maybe there's trustees or fiduciary relationships but at the end of the day without just that baseline communication of hey as a g1 you've got a sprawling and complex enterprise the next gen needs to understand how to operate within that environment on some level and it's not going to happen overnight that's with the business again fiduciary relationships the portfolio it needs to happen over time it needs to be a process it needs to be thought out but at the end of the day as long as you're talking and engaging with each other around the enterprise which includes pretty much everything you're going to be in a much better spot you know 5 10 15 years from now so that's you know i again i just always go back to communication and without that component you really can't have anything else you can, it's just really hard to do anything without that baseline communication yeah i mean communication is key everywhere both in our personal lives and our professional lives and i guess when you're talking about a family office both of those <laughs> both personal and professional is all wrapped up into one happy family office right so yeah i'll give you a case study kind of a composite right of clients and oftentimes you know it's a g1 wealth creator that are having these conversations in their head that are saying what should i tell my family right and they're, they're usually just focused on like that bottom line balance sheet number and my response is usually it's not what you should tell them it's how you should prepare them for what you're going to eventually tell them that's like the real question you know without kind of and i hate to use the word training up but without some sort of communication talking about it showing them how you operate within certain environments that number does become more and more important 
because it's going to be such a shock to them. Maybe not that they're wealthy, but the actual number. And so make that number have meaning behind it. Hey, this is made up of a business. This is made up of these investments. Here's the cash flow. And you could actually use the family office as a platform and a sounding board and a nexus to do all this stuff. Uh, that's what I think a lot of people kind of don't realize. You going through that reminds me of a conversation that we had with another UBS colleague, and she talked about the importance of talking about money and teaching your kids about money. And usually parents think about it's an on and off switch. It's like, I either tell them all of it or none, none of it. Right. And she's like, think of it more like a dimmer switch. Yeah, no, it'll ha it should gradually happen over time. Right. And I'll make a sports analogy that you can't just show up on Sunday. Right. If, it's, if we're talking football, you can't just show up on Sunday and expect to be good. You have to practice. And so how do you practice? Hey, you have to involve the family on some of this stuff. And, you know, there's different ways you can go about it. Obviously, investment committee is one, philanthropy is the other, and just exposing them to bits and pieces. So at the end of the day, if nothing is a shock and they understand how to operate within the enterprise and within that environment as a family together. Yeah, also these families taking advantage of programs like the Young Successors Program that we've got here, helping that next generation learn. Yeah, no, that's a great, yeah, no, that's a great form. And there's certain resources that families should definitely leverage that are out there. Not all families, but some families have a tendency to be very insular when engaging on these topics, both within themselves, but also externally facing. And I think just hearing from other families that are kind of in similar situations, I mean, every family is different, but that, hey, here's how such and such family is handled kind of wealth transition, thinking about wealth, talking about wealth, I think it could really be very insightful. And it's not a panacea, but I think it's another component that helps you get there. And so that's internal resources that we have. Like you mentioned, the Young Successors Program is a great, is a great kind of tool for engagement. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I tell Jason all the time. When I go to these conferences, the, some of the biggest impact that I have at these conferences is the conversations that I have with other colleagues and other professionals, not necessarily out of the speakers. It's just like, you know, sometimes it's, you know, when they say misery loves company, you know, where you could have some good conversations with people. Right. And I think that same with this, right. When I'm mean, with family offices, getting together with other family offices, I mean, there's going to be some common threads that are woven through each one of them that they can talk about and how they've approached it. Right. What works, what doesn't work. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, you've probably heard the phrase, you've seen one family office, you've seen one family office and Sure, you can say that's true, but that's like saying you've met one person, you've met one person. I mean, there's still a lot of commonalities there among families and family offices, right? So I don't tend to subscribe to that adage, you've seen one, you've seen one, because there are some common themes that run through all of them, both technically speaking, right, on tax investments, what have you, but also just family dynamics. So it's more, in my opinion, kind of Baskin Robbins, 32 Flavors, just to make another analogy, but um, great point. Mark, assume for a second a business owner, after decades of running the company so well, they they've decided to exit, and Q4 of this year, they expect to get liquid upon exit for, say, $400 million. And it's a wealthy family to begin with, but not extravagant. They live within their means and enjoying their life, but now that this notion of having close to a half a billion dollars post-tax 
they're being told they ought to com- contemplate a family office, but they're also thinking, why do we, yes, we have a lot more money to our name, but why, why do I need to create a family office? What, what are the, when you meet with them for the first time, what are the overarching top level questions that you delve in to explore whether or not they even really need one? Because wealth doesn't necessarily translate to complexity. It can. Yeah. No, I agree. And it's a, it's a great kind of profile of a client because that's right in the sweet spot, right? Where maybe they don't have a ton of complexity. But if it's a business owner, especially an owner operator, I make the analogy to their business. The business had a plan. It was organized. Everything was under one roof. You had an infrastructure you could rely on. And so I say you should take the same approach to your wealth, you know, non-business wealth, and have a plan, everything should be organized. Again, I'll go back to my business to say, you wouldn't have a business without an accounting department, right? Like you just wouldn't run a business without an accounting department. You probably need different components. And so putting that infrastructure around that family, and by the way, at the end of the day, maybe it's only one person that's connecting all the dots for them. Because without this one person or without this minimal infrastructure, and again, that could be accounting, bookkeeping, you know, just somebody that knows everything about the family, technically speaking, but also someone on a personality level, it gets very hard to manage it because that client is going to have to self-manage it. And he could have been the best, you know, entrepreneur, but does he, when you get to post you know, liquidity wealth, it's heavily driven by, you know, the intersection of income taxes, estate planning, wealth transfer. There's a charitable component to it. And there's inflows and outflows of cash flow for these families. And so is a client going to understand that or even want to do that? So at the end of the day, you should have a minimal infrastructure, whatever gets you there. Maybe it's one person connecting all the dots and outsourcing all this. Or maybe it's two to three people. I'm not talking building a team of 15 or 20 or 30. It's whatever is relevant and appropriate for that family to manage that wealth like a business. First step, you know, obviously having accounting and reporting, maybe hiring that first person to run point on a lot of these different tasks. But if you were to look at the basic, like fundamental makeup of a family office, like what are, what are the main components like somebody where you would have a specific person responsible for this, another person responsible for that. Like, what does the basic infrastructure look like? Yeah. So let's just use kind of blank slate, you know, typical wealthy family with a little bit of complexity, not a lot, right? There's going to have trust partnerships, handful of houses, maybe some domestic staff, you know, somebody working at the house or, you know, nanny or housekeeper and just, cash inflows and outflows. That's really a small business at the end of the day, whether it's that's a billion or that's 250 million. And so you should have at least one person that understands the intersection of all that. And that intersection is, you know, income tax, estate planning, wealth transfer, someone in an investment component. It's very hard to find that person, that one person. And that's why you should probably I always tell families to hire the accounting person, or at least that first person, before they go hire somebody that's focused on investments. Because the investment person isn't necessarily going to build out that infrastructure or understand how it all integrates. They're just going to say, 
give me the portfolio. I'm going to make 8% for you, right? 60, 40 portfolio, whatever it is. So building that infrastructure, it is hiring that first trusted person. And usually, in my opinion, and from what I've seen over the years, is accounting focused person. So that's oftentimes the CFO or the controller that worked at that person's business that they sold. So now they need this person to come build out the, the family office, build out the accounting infrastructure. They trust this person. And then from there, it's, you know, maybe, t- maybe it's a bookkeeper or admin, and maybe you tend to go up the value chain a little bit further. Maybe it's an investment analyst, whether you call that person a CIO or not. You know, as you have more and more scale and more and more complexity, you know, having been a family office general counsel for a number of years, I will say that they are a huge value add. And so those are really the nuts and bolts. It's someone that understands the accounting and the intersection of all that, usually an admin component to it after that maybe an investment analyst after that, and then depending on the complexity and the scale, a general counsel. And so that's the basic structure, at least from a human capital perspective, of a family office. But again, I just keep going back to, you need to treat it like a business and so know your numbers, and that's the accounting first, and then everything else after that. Typically, what range of cost relative to assets under management do you share with folks? Yeah, that's kind of all over the board, right? That has to do with like geography and everything. And so if you look at our own GFIW, GFOWs, GFO survey, I think it's at over a billion or at like 22 bips just for internal direct costs of the family office. And as you come down to like 250 million, I think it's approaching like 50 bips just for like the people that you're going to hire. I'm not talking, you know, investment management fees or anything like that. So, in my opinion, that's the cost structure of a family office. You know, that that can include, you know, rental overhead rights such as real estate. But by and large, the biggest expense of the family office is just gonna be the people, right? It's it's a service business at the end of the day, and service businesses cost structure is all tied up in the people. So excellent. Thank you. Can you give us a little commercial on FOSG, Family Office Solutions Group? Yeah. No, it's a great group. I think there's no G anymore. I think it's a folks no test, right? No G. We lost the yeah, G. <laughs> we lost the G. We're still a group though. So it's Family Office Solutions. It's a team of 25 subject matter experts from different teams that are integrated with each other. So you think advanced planning, it's income tax, estate planning attorneys, wealth transfer. They can help you think through income tax issues on selling your business, going through a liquidity event to charitable deductions for a charitable donation, how to do that, what's the best avenue and strategy for that to hey, here's what you have going on right now in your estate plan, and you should probably consider X, Y, and Z. Okay, that's advanced planning. Great team. The other big component of the team is family advisory and philanthropy services. So that's how do we talk as a family about wealth? What are our values? Where are we at today as a family? And how are we going to get into the future? And you know, how do we navigate these kind of complex issues? Again, it's tied up with kind of the social aspect of being a family. And then philanthropies attached to that, which is obviously, you know, heavily woven in with values and families. There's other components to it. There's client solution specialists that kind of acts as your quarterback for these large families throughout the bank and also through family office solutions. We've got individuals that can, you know, make loans against private stock, right? that are illiquid. We've got individuals that can hedge against big concentrated positions. 
We've got an art advisory specialist, which is great, by the way, because he's probably the most sought after person on FOSS because clients, you know, I mean, they're going to have income tax and state tax issues, but what are they passionate about? They're passionate about uh, their collectibles and their passion assets. And that's oftentimes art. So he can talk about how to build a collection, how to sell a collection. Should you go auction house or should you go gallery? Are you referring to Matthew? Matthew Newton. Yeah, he's great. And so, you know, obviously advanced planning, a couple of people there, you know, Lars Coney, Brian Hahn, Scott Malone. You know, I don't want to leave anybody out, so I'm going to stop naming names. <laughs> and family advisory, philanthropy solutions, that is Nicole Sebastian, who I work often hand-in-hand with. And so if you're looking at the different issues and components of a family, both from, you know, family dynamics, family culture, that's family advisory. You're looking at income tax issues, wealth transfer, estate planning, liquidity event, how, you know, what kind of tax deduction you're going to get. What are the strategies there? That's advanced planning. So everything, all the components that a family has, we can provide, we sit together, we're a coordinated team. What we're not going to do for you is probably the only thing we're not going to do for you is pay your bills. But we have people that can do that external to the bank. But watch out for that though. And so it's, it's, again, it's just a team of kind of just holistic. It's a holistic team at the end of the day that can bring to bear intellectual capital to help your family kind of navigate all these issues and more. That's the pitch right there. <laughs> well, we are big fans of the group and big, big utilizers of the group as well. So we talked about a lot here on in this conversation, Mark, you know, about what a family office is. It actually is, what are some typical pathways for the family office, how they evolve from G1 to future generations, and some of the challenges they have in doing that, importance of communication. You know, we talked about a plan in place for the family office, a budget, who does what, what do they do, when do they do it, what do they outsource, any other do's and don'ts that you can think of before we wrap up our conversation this afternoon? Yeah, I think you mentioned a lot of them. But again, it's it's like any business. Have a plan. Think about the budget. Think about who you're going to do it with, what you're going to do, why you're going to do it. At the end of the day, you're going to be in a much better position than those family offices that are just like, I got a guy or a girl and I don't know what they do. I just know that the trains move on time. So just be a little bit more thoughtful around it. And by the way, you're hiring people, even if they're at your family office. These are people's careers. And so think about how you're going to do the HR component to it, whether it's an external HR firm or you're leveraging some something from your business and you're just building the business back. But think about doing it the right way. And another component is think about kind of security, right? If you're looking at the financial aspect, think about the controls. Okay, how, how does money go in and out of that family office? I would really think about that. And so those are really a couple of the key components I'd like to leave everybody here with today. Actually, you just kind of prompted something in my head here. Security, cybersecurity. What about cybersecurity? It's an omnipresent issue for, frankly, any business, not just family office. But the issue with family office is, you know, they control a lot of wealth and they're oftentimes can be informal organizations. And so at the end of the day, you should be operating in the cloud. Your data should be in the cloud. It should be behind you know, dual authentication, whether it's AWS or whatever. And the family also should have their email addresses behind those types of walls, right? Dual authentication. Because 
you're going to have family members, if they're off of that platform, emailing into the family office say, hey, why are we money here? Why are we money there? And so without the family members also being on kind of a secure network, you're really not adding a ton of value there. So think about the cybersecurity aspect of it. And that's going to be an omnipresent just topic forever and ever, probably, especially with AI here. So yeah, great, great point. I know UBS spends a ton of money on cybersecurity. Just all the bad actors out there with AI, it's just getting better and better and better. You know. Well, Mark, thank you so much for hopping on with us this afternoon. Jason and I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Uh, always great to engage with you guys. Mark, thanks very much. Yeah, much appreciated. Thank you for the opportunity, for sure. All right, you have a good one. All right, you too. Great. Thanks, Mark. Take care. On behalf of our entire team here at ATX Wealth Partners, we hope you enjoyed this program. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at atxwealthpartners at ubs.com. And remember this, know your options, be informed, and plan early. Until next time, take care and be well.